0: Before I go ahead and pray with our eyes closed, can we just all pray together if you could just at this time Uh, Pray for me, and let's just pray for our church. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for the message, and let's just give our hearts back to God. And as we just continue praying, uh, let's just seek our faces. Come united together as a family in Christ. And let's, let's make sure that we give all of ourselves, not just a part of ourselves, but give all of ourselves to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who deserves it all, the name above all names. Let's pray to Him. Let's pray together. Let's pray as a church together. it says ascribe to the Lord you heavenly beings ascribe to the Lord glory and strength ascribe to the Lord the glory through his name worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness the voice of the Lord is over the waters the God of glory thunders the Lord thunders over the mighty waters the voice of the Lord is powerful the voice of the Lord is majestic The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks and pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Heavenly Father, as we went over last week in Job chapter 38, verse 42, when we read your words, O God, when you spoke to Job, we understand that, God, that you thunder over the mighty waters. We believe with all of our hearts, God, that your voice is powerful. It is majestic that in you, O oh God, there's glory and strength. And God, all glory is given to your name and your name alone. So God, I pray, Lord, as you transition to the message, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and all of our hearts here who are listening here, it will be pleasing in your sight, O oh God. We ask for humility and we cast aside every distraction, and attack of the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and I pray, and God's people pray, Amen and Amen. God bless you all. Uh, We have finally finished our Job series, and now we will be tackling before we hit our Advent season. Uh, We will be going and having our service. It's kind of like now I get to give a message that feels that I feel conviction in my heart, where I don't have to be guided by a series, so I'm very excited for this. But today, we're going to focus on the church. We're going to focus on God's people. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, God's people? And the title of today's message is called, How God's People Should Live. How God's People Should Live. Starting with our main passage today, found in Psalm 29, verse 11, it says this. It says, The Lord gives strength to His people. The Lord blesses His people with peace. I'll say it again. The Lord gives strength to His people. The Lord blesses His people with peace. Amen. And with that, let's begin with the phrase, You must. You must, and starting with point number one is this you must know yourself. Can you repeat after me? Know yourself. yourself. And turn to your neighbor and say, "Before before you wreck yourself. Just kidding. Know yourself. It's just know yourself, not before you wreck yourself. Know yourself. What do I mean by that? You need to know who you are, you need to know your identity. First and foremost, this is the foundation. You need to know your identity. You need to know who you are. You need to know whose you are, who you belong to. You need to know why you are here on this earth. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. But you are a chosen people. Do you know that you are a chosen individual? We are a chosen church. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Amen. He brought us from darkness to his light. Once, you are not a people. You are not a people of God. You are not a person of God. But now, now you are the people of God. Now. Once you had not received mercy. Before we met Christ, we had no mercy. But now you have received mercy. You are a chosen individual. Don't forget your identity. Don't forget who you are, whose you are, and know. don't forget why you are here on this earth. We cannot forget. Know what you are getting yourself into in this Christian life, in this Christian journey. Know why you are here, which leads in to point number two with the phrase, know what you're getting yourself into. Point number two is count the cost. You must count the cost. And what do I mean by counting the cost? You need to know what you're getting yourself into. You need to know what you are getting yourself into. The cost of discipleship, counting the cost. Every day we must do this. Every day. Every day we must count the cost. The passage here that I want to go over is found in Luke chapter 14. And for those who did, when we, we did discipleship in the past, we went over this. And this is a very important passage. Please know this passage. Please memorize this passage. And Luke chapter 14, it says, they're starting from verse 25 to 33. And the title, the, the heading says, The cost of being a disciple. What is the cost? Let's read. Verse 25, it begins with large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone, and this is Jesus speaking, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Verse 27. And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. my disciples, Can we read these two verses together? Uh, let's read verse 27 and let's read verse 33. Let's start with verse 27. Ready? One, two, three. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Let's go to verse 33. Ready? One, two, three. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So, what is the cost of being a disciple? It costs everything you have. Your loyalty must be to God, to Jesus Christ, before everything else. It doesn't come after family, it doesn't come after friendship, it doesn't come after your pleasures, the things, your own dreams. But Jesus Christ comes before everything. Jesus Christ is first and foremost. And if you cannot give up everything, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You must be willing, willing to give up everything when you follow Jesus Christ. I'm not saying go home and say, Mom, forget you. Dad, forget you. Brother, slap you. Sister, go push her away. But if it comes down, when they're against you serving God, you following Christ, who will you listen to? Will you allow their voices to dictate your faith before God, your loyalty for God? You must choose Christ. You must be willing to give up everything. You must be willing to give up your riches. You must be willing to give up everything that you have, even your own dreams. And you must follow Jesus Christ. That is the cost of being a disciple. You know, God is not here to trick us You know, a lot of pastors, they use tricks, right? They use a lot of, uh, like, easy words, easy lingos. We use things to attract people with lights and flashing things and all these different teachings, these easy teachings. And we attract people. And then eventually what happens is they do. Yes, people come to church. But how many of them last forever in their lifetime? Do they continue to be faithful to Christ? The sin of apostasy. So many even teachers, great teachers, big-time big pastors who are walking away from their faith right now. We see it. We saw even with Joshua Harris, we even talked about pastors who walked away, the sin of apostasy, walking away from their faith. And this is a real issue. When you make that decision, and whatever age it was when you made that decision, you had to have made that decision knowing that it was going to cost you your everything. You cannot go along and, and, and down the road You say years later, God, I didn't mean it. I want to take back my promise. You must know and understand what you are getting yourself into. God does not trick us into his kingdom. God says from the beginning, and he is very clear. He says it's all or nothing, and that is it. There is no middle ground. You are for me or you are against me, and that is it. That we must choose Christ more than family, more than anything, more than anyone. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book called The Cost of Discipleship, and he has a famous phrase, famous line. He says, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I'll say it again. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, which is the same thing as, as, as you just read in Luke chapter 14 and verse 27, where it says, And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciples which it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I face death. This is Paul speaking. I face death every day. In other translation it says, I die daily. I die daily. I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Christian life is not an easy life. Let me get that straight. Life is not easy, generally speaking. It's hard for everyone, and it gets harder and harder as we get older because our body deteriorates, we become older, we become sicker. Some people face sickness when they're young. Some people die before the age of 20, before the age of 10, before the age of 5. Life is difficult generally. Yes, Christian life is also difficult, but we have him. Who strengthens us and we have hope in him not just in this life but even in death we have hope because we have eternity with God God says all or nothing Christian life is not an easy road Christian life is the way of the cross a lot of us we wear the cross necklace thinking it's just a pretty you know jewelry and it just looks nice and we have we have no idea of the meaning and the understanding of what the cross represents the cross represents suffering the cross represents his love for us when he spread out his arms and he died and he chose to give his life for us so that we can have life and life to the full. That's why, that's why Paul says here in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty one, I face death every day. I face death every day. And the Bible is very clear. Jesus goes and he tells every single one of his disciples to follow me, not when you feel like you want to follow me, but follow me all the way, every single day. One of my favorite passages here, let's all read it together. I'm going to read if you can just follow with me, it's on the screen. It's found in John 21 and 15 to 19. This is right before Jesus, he ascends to heaven. This is after the cross, after he resurrected from the dead, after his suffering. And this is after Peter had betrayed Jesus. Peter is filled with guilt. He's filled with remorse. And in John 21, 15 to 19, and I love this passage. It says, the title of the heading says, Jesus reinstates Peter. Starting from verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted it. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said, to, said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter will glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. It's funny here because Peter, he's hurt because Jesus is asking him a question. But Peter, he's forgetting that he also denied Jesus three times in the past. So I think Jesus is kind of like poking fun at him three times. But Peter's like kind of sensitive. He's like, oh, he was hurt. But his heart, his true heart, was that he loved Jesus Christ. And what happens here at the end of this story? Jesus tells him that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, meaning when you're in this journey with me, right now, yes, in the past you could have made that mistake, you could have went away and you could have done your own thing. But now, as you are growing closer to me, as you know me intimately, Jesus is asking us to grow closer to him and to walk with him, even to death. And that's why it says here, very truly I tell you in verse 18, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And what is the legend? Peter, he dies as a martyr. It tells us that he was crucified. He said, I'm unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus Christ. So he gets crucified upside down. When you're young, we do what we want. But when you're older, when you're in this journey with me, you go where I lead you, Peter. And Jesus to follow me. You go and do what Christ has called you to do. And then, if we continue in verse 20 and 21, this part's really funny. This is a very serious passage, by the way, but it's also kind of funny, like, so keep in mind, we are in the book of what? John, right? So John is the writer here. He is also the disciple of Jesus Christ. So John, he calls himself uh, the, whom, the one whom Jesus loved. So it's like if Ronnie is the author, And he's talking about Ronnie the handsome and Andy the, I don't know, Andy the scrub, right? And he's just putting others down, but he puts himself as the main character, protagonist, right? So John is funny because he's the one that's writing here. It says in verse 20, Peter turned, he's writing this about Peter. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus, he's talking about himself, John. That the disciple whom Jesus loved, he doesn't even use his name. Was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Because before in the Lord's Supper, John wrote about himself. He leaned in the chest of Jesus and was like, Jesus, who's going to betray you? Like the cat, you know, puss in boots, the cat with the cute face. Like, it's not going to be me. He's talking about himself. Who is going to betray you? In verse 21, Peter saw him. He asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And the lesson here in verse 20, 21 is do not compare your life to the person who is sitting next to you. Do not compare your life to someone else. You have the life that you need to live. Do not compare your life to the person next to you. Your path is the path that you must take. And let's say, God forbid, I will one day face death. As a martyr, who knows? Who knows with whatever can happen, with America, with any nation, no nation will last forever. No life, nothing lasts forever. Who knows how your end will come? But when that end comes, how will you go out? We say, Jesus, what about that person? That person is sinning, and that, life, that person is living a happy life. They are not going through any persecutions. They're not going through any hardships. How is it that I'm supposed to do this? But just like Peter, we must not compare. Do not compare to John. Do not compare to anyone else. You live the life that you're supposed to live. You stay faithful in the responsibility that you are given. Your path is your path to live. Your path is in you. unique, and it is yours and yours alone to take. And that is it. So again, count. Count the cost. We all have different cards that has been given. It is up to us how we deal our cards. How we deal with this life. With our limitations. With the blessings and with the talents that has been given to us. Count the cost. The cost of being a disciple. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now the last remaining points from three to five. Uh, Just again, don't forget to add "you must." And again, the remaining points will be using Philippians chapter two as our base. And I felt it felt it was necessary for me to go back to Philippians because we did our Philippians series, but we are so quick to forget. But let's go back to our Philippians chapter 2 especially focusing on chapter 2 and let us recap our memory as we go over each point okay so number three is you must remain humble again the title of today's message is how god's people should live number three remain humble as god's person life is all about humility as a christian you cannot and not be humble. You have to be humble, and we must pursue God with humility. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Therefore as what? God's chosen people. Again, His people. The focus is God's people. We are God's people. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, what does it say in Colossians 3.12? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must be humble. Let's go to Philippians 2. 1-11 through 11. It tells us, Therefore, if you have any encouragement... From being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And he gives an example, the prime example. And remember this passage, chapter 2, starting from verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Jesus, the mindset of Christ Jesus. So whenever you are serving at church, whenever you feel wrong, whenever you feel like a person doesn't understand, or your pastor is misunderstanding you, or someone is misunderstanding you, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. What is the mindset of Jesus Christ? This is a a key passage for us to remember and to memorize. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. Do not forget this. Always go back to this when you feel discouraged. What does it say? There is no greater act of humility than the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Incarnation meaning when, when God himself became, when he chose to be born as a human being, as an infant. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And what happened after his humility? After he humbled himself, it says in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to The humble. As Christians, we live the upside down kingdom. The humble will find grace, will find mercy. For God opposes the proud, but shows grace, shows favor to the humble. Again, remain humble. Number four, you must do without grumbling, do without grumbling. Do without grumbling. Going to our next part of Philippians chapter 2, found in verse 12 through 18, tells us, and the, the heading of that passage is, it says, do everything without grumbling. Verse 12. Let's go ahead and read. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? Verse 15, So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Can we all read verse 14 all together? Ready? One, two, three. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Amen. So whatever you do? Like, Arlene, can you please help with the chairs? Rrr, okay, throw us a chair. In the back, I hear gush, gush, punching the wall. <laughs> we have, or we have a very good poker face. We give a smile out in the front, but in our heart, it's crooked and evil, and we are just complaining. We go home, we complain. We are attitude and everything within. Something is wrong. Outside it looks good, but inside we are grumbling. It's talking about the heart. Do without grumbling. Remember Jesus Christ, the one who gave it all for us. Ronnie, are you okay? Your glasses are so foggy. Last point. Number five. And this is very important. Show genuine concern for others' welfare. Show genuine concern for others' welfare. Genuine concern. We live in a society where, (gasps) really? But inside, we don't care. Someone is going through a hard time. We say, the team is only strong as its weakest link. We see someone or individual who's going through a hard time, a pain, painful experience, painful situation. We say, and we do it from outside, yes, because we know how to act. But inside, do you truly care? Do you truly pray? Do you truly think about that individual throughout the week? We live in a society where we have two masts. But Paul here, he reminds us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 to 30. I hope this is helping you recap your memory and to remember. Remember Timothy and Epaphroditus, these two individuals? the, The heading says Timothy and Epaphroditus, and it says this in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Can we turn to our neighbor and say, genuine concern, genuine concern. For, your for your welfare. Verse 21, for everyone looks out. And Paul is not wrong here because we are selfish beings as human beings at times. For everyone looks out for their own interest. Not those of Jesus Christ. Verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send them as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So Paul here genuinely cares for Epaphroditus, he genuinely cares for Timothy. He understands that he understands that the Philippian church they genuinely care for Timothy. He understands that Timothy genuinely cares for the Philippian the Philippi community. He 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 knows that that Epaphroditus genuinely loves Philippian church. They love Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus has genuine concern for the church. Just like for us, as we have genuine concern for each other. If we are going through hard times, just as we have genuine concern for life and as life has genuine concern for us, that's what a real family does. They have genuine concern for each other. They pray for one another. And what does he say? Therefore, I am all the more eager, verse 28, to send them so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So what does it mean to show genuine concern? According to Philippians 2, 19-30, it says here that genuine concern are people who their their heart breaks for that individual and it's a person who brings less anxiety it says it brings joy it brings honor it says to bring honor. It's to, it's to honor people like him it says to, bring, to have genuine concern it means to risk your life it means to risk your comfort for the sake of saving and helping your brother and sister it's about putting things on the line for the sake of that individual that is what it means to have genuine concern to look out for the individual, not when it's easy, but when it is difficult. So we reminded here in point five, show genuine concern for others' welfare. We understand that we live not for ourselves, but for him and for the sake of our fellow brothers and sisters. Remember Philippians 2, verse three to four? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. So what is the, opposite, what is the definition? What is opposite of humility? What is the opposite of humility? I'll tell you what it is. Opposite of humility is, yes, it's pride, we know. That's the main thing. Everything falls from pride. But the opposite of humility is selfishness, is self-righteousness. When you think that you are better than the rest, humility is what? Putting others' interests above my own. Opposite of humility is selfishness and self-righteousness. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36-40. 30, to 40. Jesus says here, he gives the two greatest commandments. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. We all love ourselves. Therefore, we must love our neighbor just as much as I am willing to look out for my own comfort. Be concerned with others' welfare. Have genuine concern for others' welfare. Therefore, as Christians, as God's people, how God's people should live, I am called to love God and to love my neighbor. I am not meant to live selfishly, but selflessly. To love God means to love your neighbors. To live fully sought out for the kingdom of God. John F. Kennedy, in his inaugural address in January 20, 1961, in his speech he said this, let every nation know whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe in order to assure the survival and the success of liberty. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. I'm going to say it again. My fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And the church is the same way. A lot of times our attitudes, we come to the church thinking, God, what can you offer me? What can the church do for me? And you check out churches, we judge. We have all these lists, pros and cons, what the church can offer me. However, as we're here today at church, may our attitudes be like this. Lord, what can I do for your kingdom? Lord, what can I do For my church, the church that God has planted you in. Say, how can I do well in the responsibility that has been given to me at church or at home in life? How can I do well in the responsibility that has been given to me? May our prayers be today, this afternoon. Lord, use me as you will. Use me as you will. And may this be our prayer this afternoon. You know, I hope that we'll remember today's message, how God's people should live. And with that, I want to invite all of you to close your eyes with me. And let's just pray together. Heavenly Fathers, I want to thank you for today's message and for the message that you have for us today thank you for your faithfulness and your grace and your mercy that you continue to pour out every single day, O oh God. Lord, we fall short in so many ways, but Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your infinite love that you continue to pour out for us, that when we repent, that when we humble ourselves, oh God, that you are quick to receive us, that you are quick to take us and to forgive us and to give us a hope and a future, not just for our present, but Lord God, but even for my past, all of our sins, all of our mistakes, everything is washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. So God, watch over our church today. We thank you for the finance meeting that we're going to have. We thank you for everything that we're going to be doing. We thank you for the fellowship that we're going to have, the ice cream fellowship that we're going to have later. We thank you for everything. Please keep us safe on the road. We give all glory to you. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things. In your precious Son, Jesus Christ, I'm, I pray. And as God's people, we pray. Amen and amen. amen.